You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest has fed hungry fairgoers across America at fairs such as the Greater Gulf State Fair in Mobile, Alabama, and the Clay County Fair in Spencer, Iowa. His food has been featured multiple times on Food Network's hit show, Carnival Eats. He joins us today from Northwest Iowa, from the Waffle Chicks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Chris Taylor. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, so Waffle Chicks, when uh, when I put a message out on the uh, on the marketing board on Facebook, I said, hey, I'm looking for a concessionaire. Can anybody get me a referral? Well, both Josh Woods and Jeremy Parsons from their respective fairs said, oh, you need to go, you need to get a hold of Chris at, at Waffle Chicks. They're fantastic. And I was, and then I think it was Jeremy said, it's Waffle Chicks, but they're not chicks. So, <laughs> so what's the Waffle Chicks? I mean, that's a pretty unique name. How'd that come about? Well, uh, if you take a, if you go into a restaurant, you order chicken, the shorthand that almost every waiter or waitress uses is C-H-I-X. Hmm. They abbreviate chicken. We're doing chicken and waffle. Okay. So instead of waffle chicken, it's a little generic. We went with waffle chicks, did the abbreviation. It looks better on a logo. Well, one thing leads to another. And then um, somebody says, well, chicks, it's owned by three men. How can you be called chicks? Hey, you know what? We should put pinup girl pictures on our logo. So we have a blonde and a brunette on our logo, Waffle Chicks. Um, you know, tells just a little bit about our product. Our trailer is themed with a red and white checkerboard bottom to it. So it's, it's kind of a retro 50s look, you might want to say. Um, and then these pinup girls are wearing checkered aprons. Uh, it's, it's been quite a, quite a draw. The news people, every news person thinks it's the funniest thing. And they're the first one to come up with a joke that there's three guys that are the waffle chicks. Been great for marketing. Perfect, man. You built it in. You don't have to do anything. You just let the media fall all over themselves to come point their camera at your booth and sample your food. That's brilliant. I love the idea. I, I wish I'd come up with something like that when I came up with my conjure fortune machine, which people are like, what's that? <laughs> but you've, you've got it nailed down. Um, so you do, you do chicken and waffles. You serve anything else or is that, that's your main thing? What else they, what else you have at your stand? We're, our products are on a stick and then we bake waffle around the outside. So it's shaped like a corn dog. Our main product is the chicken, it's white meat chicken with home cell seasoning, waffle baked around it. Like I said, it's shaped like a corn dog with waffle tracks. We also do a breakfast sausage and then we do a handful of desserts, uh, Snickers, uh, chocolate chip cookie dough, chocolate brownie. Same thing, baked inside a waffle, but then those are covered with powdered sugar and chocolate syrup. Kind of a, you know, a, a different option, or believe it or not, a healthier option than a deep fried Snickers, because everything's baked on a waffle iron. We do not have grease in the trailer. Everything's baked. It's almost like health food. We were talking before the show, and for only being in for four years as a concessionaire, you've got a pretty impressive resume so far of fairs that you have appeared at. Where do you typically travel? Um, share with the listeners some of what you were sharing with me before. The, um, our winter schedule involves the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo, uh, Livestock Show and Rodeo in San Antonio, Texas, which takes up most of February. Uh, then we move up the road to Austin, Texas and do Rodeo Austin. Our fair schedule runs uh, from mid-July. We start at Minot, North Dakota at the North Dakota State Fair. 
And um, actually with our two Waffle Chicks trailers, we split up and go different directions. Uh, the Ohio State Fair uh, for one trailer, then it will go on to the Iowa State Fair, Colorado, Oklahoma, Mississippi, and the Greater Gulf State Fair in Alabama. Uh, the other Waffle Chicks trailer will do Minot, followed by Milwaukee for the Wisconsin State Fair, the Clay County Fair in Spencer, Iowa. This year we were adding the East Texas State Fair in Tyler, Texas, the Arkansas State Fair and the Louisiana State Fair for that trailer. And over and above this, we've added a pioneer wagon um, that will follow the one trailer around uh, to Iowa, Ohio, Colorado. That's a Western style trailer that serves rattlesnake sausage, elk sausage, and a, a couple of comfort foods such as thick cut fried bologna sandwiches. Wow. So, I mean, obviously building out these food stands is not cheap. Buying them alone, plus then you're adding your wraps and your graphics and all this is not a cheap proposition. There's got to be considerable investment up front. How did you get into this business and start making this happen? We have a very good friend that uh, he and his family have been in the concession business for well over 30 years, based right here in Northwest Iowa. His sons went to high school with my sons. Uh, they had this, this idea that um, chicken and waffle could be a good product in the concession business. They didn't have the, the manpower to make that work, asked us if we were interested. Uh, four years ago, we had never been in the food business period. I was a territory sales manager for a manufacturing company. I had a son just graduated from college and a son that was a full-time farmer raising cattle and corn and soybeans. Now here we are full-time concession guys. Chris, talk about Carnival Eats. Four um, times you've done Carnival Eats. Was it always at the same fair or did they just, did they no, follow they you guys? They never the same fair twice. That's they, what I thought. Yep. Um, Greater Gulf State Fair. Right. Standard did one. Um, then uh, we just hit it off well with this, the group. So then I, I, um, I was trying to get into Rodeo Austin and the, um, the producers said, well, we're looking for something that time of year. I contacted, and they contacted Rodeo Austin. I end up talking then to the um, concessions manager, Holly, and uh, mentioned to her about Carnival Eats. And she said, wait, how do you know about that? I said, well, I told them to contact you. She said, oh my gosh, she goes, that's been my goal since I became manager was to get Carnival Eats here. And none of the concessionaires would admit to sending them here to talk to me. And she said, I will find a spot for you because you got Carnival Eats in here. So I did an episode there. There you go. And then in 2019, we were a finalist in the food contest at the Wisconsin State Fair, which was tripled our business. All right. awesome. We've won a bunch of awards that way. Anyway, they went in and filmed an episode with my son Tanner there. Tanner did his second episode on a Wednesday. The following Monday, they filmed my daughter, Abby, doing a product at the Iowa State Fair. So we uh, honestly, I could, I could call the... Um, production manager right now, Cameron. And if he didn't answer, he'd call me back within an hour. I'm guessing cool, man. something. Um, there's three different producers there. One of them actually works as a director as well. They're just fantastic people to work with. And Noah, have, have you ever had a chance to meet any of that crew? I haven't. Okay. Noah, the host, um, believe it or not, maybe nicer in person than he is on camera. <laughs> and I can see you know, that. A lot of times it's, it can be the other way around. You know, people can be full of themselves, not him. He's just fantastic. And, and um, you know, he'll, I, I actually walked past where he was filming one time, didn't know he was doing an episode with us later in that same fair because they hadn't told him ahead of time. Right. And he actually stopped 
the camera and hollered at me to come over and say hi and talk to him for a minute. He didn't know I was gonna, going to be seeing him later on in the event. Oh, cool. So he's, he's just that nice and personable, but the whole crew is there. They're a bunch of Canadians, you know, they're all laid back and easy. Right. Ones. So Carnival yeah. Eats was good. Carnival Eats was, was good for the Waffle Chicks brand then. Oh, it, it has been. There's, there is a cult following and we have signs up on our trailers as seen on Waffle, on the Carnival Eats. People will stop in their tracks and come and buy it. And since we have four items we've done on Carnival Eats, most people will buy all four items because they have to have what Noah ate. It's, wow. you know, they, they may do it over the course of a day or two, but they will, um, they, they, they'll stop and eat just because they see that sign. Is there, out of all those fairs you listed, is there one that, that is a favorite, dare I ask? <laughs> I'll put <laughs> you, you on the spot. <laughs> the, actually, I have to put two of them together. The Clay County Fair in Spencer, Iowa. My parents took me when I was six months old. I have not missed one. And wow. I'm somewhere between 50 and 90 years old right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I like it, that. It, I have been there every year of my life. Absolutely love it. It's tagged as the world's greatest county fair. And there's a reason for it. Now, along with that, the Iowa State Fair. You know, we're Iowa people. We absolutely love that. Now, I don't think we don't love the Wisconsin State Fair, but the Iowa State Fair, my daughter, as an example, she's never missed the Iowa State Fair in her 24 years of life. So um, we we have um, strong feelings for our, our stuff here in, in Iowa. And the Iowa State Fair was a phenomenal fair our first year that we did it, um, which was only our second year in business, believe it or not. So we were extremely fortunate to get in there. But the reason is that we have a very unique product line. And 2020 would have been the year to have added the Pioneer Wagon with its unique product line. Instead, we, they were both parked at that time. Yeah, super rough. Um, now, when you travel, you said it's three, it's, you know, three guys that aren't chicks. Um, these are, I think you said before the show, these are your sons that are, are partners in this? Yes. Yep. Spencer, uh, the oldest, and Tanner is my, my middle child. Uh, the two of them and I are equal partners in the business. My daughter, Abby, helps out at times, but she is also a teacher. So obviously her schedule uh, is dictated by the school year. Of course. Um, now, when you guys are traveling, do you travel with a, a crew? How many do you, you're hiring staff place to place? How does that work for you? We try to hire local um, help where, when we get into certain areas. Uh, we have been fortunate to find some fantastic help in, in some of these areas. Uh, believe it or not, most of what we can do at the large fairs, we can do with a very, very small staff. Uh, Tanner can run a trailer. Spencer can run a trailer. I can take care of one with very little help a lot of the time. We can do a lot of prep and keep lines moving very fast with just one person or sometimes two or three until we get to a Wisconsin or Iowa state fair. Then of course it takes a crew of five or six all day long to keep that moving. Sure. Now, I mean, it's not always easy to find quality staff. I've, you know, being in the industry, I've talked to plenty of, of concessionaires over the years that they interview, they hire. I mean, you need people in there to serve food. And a lot of times those people two days, three days into the fair, they're like, I don't like this. And they, they don't show up for day four. Do you think when things reopen, it's going to be a challenge to find quality staff? I'm not concerned about finding the quality staff because I think a lot of the workers are going to be hungry to get out and make some money. 
you know, they're, they've been sitting around not doing much on the part-time side of things. And it, it's very, very challenging for those people. I think they'll be very excited to get back to work. Luckily for us, everybody we've hired so far has been people that will come back over and over again. So we have a list of contacts. We're not going into a fair looking for brand new people every time. Got it. So you just call those people up year after year and say, Hey, are you available? And if they are cool, if not, you go to the next person on the list. Exactly. And most of them are fantastic for referrals. You know, we have a retired school teacher in Jackson, Mississippi and a, a retired um, college professor fantastic people and they have friends from their church groups that will come in and help or relatives. Uh, it's just a matter of networking. Maybe that's part of my sales background. I, I'm continually networking, trying to get more, more of a list wherever we go. Right. So you're gearing up for your 2020 season. Um, did you get any events in this season before the wheels came off the bus? Yes. The San Antonio rodeo. Uh, we were there in February it was a great event for us. We were lucky enough to have Waffle Chicks and Pioneer Wagon side by side, um, easier to manage. Um, of the three of us handled those beautifully. Uh, it was our best year we've ever had at San Antonio. We then, when that was completed, took our equipment to Austin, Texas for the rodeo. Friends of ours were going to Houston at that time. And as we all know, Houston you know, shut down during the event. We were in Austin. <clears throat> My two sons, myself, my daughter-in-law, and my grandchildren, they were, we were all set up, ready to go. 36 hours before Rodeo Austin opened, um, they pulled the plug. Of course, there was a lot of concern at that point about um, the near term. We didn't think this was going to be a long-term deal. The near term was, well, we have thousands of dollars invested here for deposits. You know, what's going to be the process? Will we get that money back. Will they feel they should hold on to it until next year? You know, as a small beginning business, um, cash flow can, can be a concern that way. Absolutely. And um, they, I will say every event we work with um, starting with rodeo Austin has been fantastic. Um, getting that money back to us saying, Hey, we, we know you don't need those expenses this year without income. You know, let's start over next year. Uh, but yeah, it was um, a thousand miles from home equipment set up product purchased we're done not doing it. Yeah. And, and that product is, you know, I, I relate it to a lot of the other fairs that, you know, like Miami was 30 minutes from opening or an hour from opening and right. boom, plug pulled. Same thing with Vero beach at Indian river County. And you think those fairs, they've already spent their marketing budget. They've already put, bought the ads. They've already put the billboards up. They've already bought the Facebook ads and produced the videos no different than as a concessionaire you have all that product sitting there in your trailer what happens to that product are you able to move it and sell it someplace else or is it just a loss well that was the nice part about i try to find a silver lining the nice part about houston canceling when they did we had not purchased all of our product we were told there was a possibility we would run a few days in austin to see how it worked so we had enough product to get through the first weekend instead of enough for all 15 days. We, we had enough to do that. Well, we could bring that home. You know, we have to eat, you know, we have <laughs> chicken and sausage and that. Um, not enough product to make or break anybody when it comes to that. It was just enough to get through the weekend. Um, friends of ours that were in Houston, they were stocked up in, in the middle of an event. They were in a lot tougher spot than we were. 
Yeah, and for a very, very big event down in Houston. So they probably right. had a lot more stock on hand. Right. That's rough. You know, you mentioned before this, you were thinking a lot of us, I think we're looking at this more as short-term versus long-term. When did you realize this was going to really have a long-term impact on the industry? Well, um, going down that road, when we, we first came back from Texas, moved our equipment back here, uh, spoke to our banker, you know, because we are a new business with some loans on our equipment uh, and told him what happened. He said, hey, don't worry about it. This, you know, we, we know you guys are good for it. You've been extremely successful so far. Uh, we'll just keep things moving along. Your payments aren't due until the fall. If by chance you don't have any events, we'll work on a way to just roll over and just pay interest, possibly something like that. And I, I have a lot of friends in the business have been in that similar situation. We looked at the banker and said, Brad, how in the world do you think this is going to be a long-term deal? We, we thought he was being a little bit of an alarmist. Turned out he was a fortune teller, like a Zoltar type of thing. Hey, I know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did help us through this and has been great to work with. Um, but when I guess to answer your question about when we really knew um, things were, were not going to happen is when we were notified about uh, the Wisconsin State Fair being canceled. Um, we knew that because the time frame of Wisconsin and Iowa overlapping, that if Wisconsin canceled, Iowa would cancel and it would snowball from there. Um, you know, there's some, what we consider mega fairs in the northern, north central states, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Yep. Uh, Minnesota is the, the fair everybody wants to get into, obviously. Uh, when Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota are canceling, every small fair in the country is going to cancel. You know, I know there are people in Texas that will say, hey, the state fair of Texas is going to, you know, call the shots. Well, they aren't until October. These decisions for August fairs have to be made much earlier. Yep. And it just set the tone for where things were going to go. I, I don't think Houston was the, the tell-all time when that decision was made. Everything was too new and too fresh. Yeah, I think when the big fairs in the summer started calling, we all knew we were in for a long, long, um, tough summer. Yeah. What kind of stress is this? does this put on you as a business owner and uh, an employer during this time? Well, uh, the financial stress is definitely, uh, you know, um, it, it's hard to deal with, but you try to find other things to do. Uh, we have gotten very aggressive on you know, applying for other fairs, hoping that spots will open up for next year. Some of the other large fairs we'd like to get into, um, you know, a handful of the fairs that I mentioned that we would have done this year were the East Texas state fair in Tyler, the Arkansas state fair and Louisiana state fair. We actually got on the ball and applied to those as soon as Houston and Austin were canceled. Those were not set up a year in advance. Um, the Ohio state fair is another one that we wanted to get back into. We had done it in the past, wanted to get back in. So those are four very good events that we were aggressive uh, to get back into. It helped alleviate the stress knowing we were, we were being accepted into those fairs, you know, sure. thinking, Hey, long-term this will work. Um, it's, it's a tough year, but you know, we do see the big picture and I think it will bounce back. And the greater Gulf state fair that we did in mobile was probably one of the better examples of how it should bounce back. Yeah. I know Josh is, um, he's gutsy trying to, to um, get that fair in. I think there were several fairs that went off this year that I thought 
took some risk. And I think for the most part, it paid off. I know we spoke to Courtney Conkle from the Wyoming state fair earlier in the season, and they saw record sales, you know, record um, gate record um, beer garden sales. It was, they did really well. And the, but I think there's that moment where they all hold their breath afterwards where they go, we don't want to be responsible for an outbreak and they're holding their breath as cases start to get reported. And I know in Wyoming's case, Courtney was very relieved that their cases actually went down in the 21 days following their event. Um, I'd be curious what's gone on down in Mobile. I haven't spoken with Josh yet, but boy, it's got to be something that keeps them up at night as a fair manager. You know, entertainers think sometimes I think we've got it rough and I think we've got it easiest of everybody. Cause for the most part, we just put our equipment away and just hold our breath and wait until things happen again. But it's a real gutsy move for Josh. What, what did you like best about that fair? Well, um, as a quick follow-up, I knew I was going to be doing this podcast today. So I, I did some uh, research with the folks in mobile just last night and the concessions manager, um, Pascal, she she told me that there have been no spikes uh, in COVID in the Mobile area, and that that was great news. The health department seemed to think everything was handled properly, which they're a very thorough health department. One of the toughest inspections you get anywhere is in, in Mobile County, and everything went fantastic along those lines. Uh, today, the day that we're taping this is uh, December 8th. Uh, we, I believe it was November 15th when we were done with that fair. Yep. So that's enough time to find out if there was going to be an outbreak caused by the fair. Yep. All right. It started um, on Halloween day and went until November 15th. No, no repercussions there whatsoever. Uh, something that they, they tried to do early on with the fair was to limit the attendance. And that worked out great limiting right. the attendance um, for COVID, not so much for vendors that are selling food. That's right. <laughs> now, the governor of uh, Alabama during that fair relaxed regulations and restrictions. So they were able to increase the number of customers coming in. A large percentage of the customers were wearing masks. I, I will throw a little side note in that they made really nice chin straps because at least half of them were not wearing them over their lips and their nose. They right. were wearing them under their chin. Right. I'm not a huge fan of having to wear a mask all day long. So I'm not pointing fingers. I just, uh, I think wearing masks is, is, good for the right people. It did not seem to make a difference to some of the customers there, but we had, um, as they started opening the gates up for more um, attendance, we had more and more business. The day, the fair was actually four days longer than usual. Okay. Hmm. We came in slightly above last year's sales numbers. So um, you can say, Hey, that was fantastic to match or beat last year's numbers. It did take an extra four days and a lot more hotel expense and things right. like that to do it. But as you said, Josh was gutsy. But they have a very progressive, active board there. Yep. It's run by the JCs, 40 years old and younger. Once you hit 40, you cannot be on the fair board anymore. Wow. It's a different way of, of going about it. It was pretty neat how they they are so involved. Uh, you see fair board members coming around um, <laughs> buying our thick cut fried bologna sandwiches. We, we were uh, kind of a hot spot for the fair board members, uh, but they just kept things moving. And um, name was the uh, amusement company that was there and they did a fantastic job um, cleaning equipment and all that type of thing. So it you don't really see 
to the naked eye, you don't see a lot of change. Right. But when you're seeing those those uh, employees for the carnival that are out there scrubbing and cleaning and disinfecting on a regular basis, those of us that are there every day anyway, don't normally see it to that extent. Right. And what they did, I'm sure, helped keep those COVID numbers down. And that's that I'm was sure. that was awesome. I'm sure. You know, and if you think about it, what they did probably helped keep you know, other things that we're not, nobody's talking about it probably helped keep flu and other things down too. just the additional cleanliness has got to be beneficial all around the board. So exactly. I give a lot of credit to, uh, to Josh and, and the fair managers who have, have taken that risk and it's paid off this year, but you, you know, you only ended up with a handful of events this year. I know a number of affairs of the fairs out there have arranged like fair food drive-throughs and things of that nature to help concessionaires like you create a little bit of additional revenue have you been able to set up anywhere else along the line besides these fairs to to generate a little more revenue well the wisconsin state fair did a drive-through uh that was fantastic in fact it was it was good enough that the uh there were only 12 vendors there the first weekend and we uh, we were fortunate enough to be one of those 12 vendors and we were just blindsided by the business i don't quote me, but I believe it was 3,300 cars came through the first Saturday. It was just unreal. Um, we, of course, had to react quickly to uh, build up our staff, get more product in there. Uh, those type of things were were fantastic. The Iowa State Fair did this uh, taste of the fair. 20 trailers that were socially distanced trailers. All right. I thought about putting a mask on the front of my trailer. Just yeah. <laughs> But that, that was a, a great way to do it. Um, those events that were held during the time of year when the fair is normally held, whether it was Wisconsin or Iowa State Fair, did very, very well. I will say that the ones that they tried to stretch out later in the year for certain events, um, these are things I've been told by other vendors. Uh, they said if it wasn't the time frame the fair normally happens, it was not well attended. Mm. So that I'm hoping we don't have to deal with this next year, but it's probably something for people to keep in mind. Right. If you're going to have a special event, do it the same dates that you would normally have your fair. Sure. And I know in, in speaking privately, not so much on the podcast, but just through, through text and Facebook and whatnot, talking to a couple other concessionaires, there was some concern that in some places, if they do these fair food events too often, that, especially down like in Florida where they're starting, they're getting ready to open their season in January, you know, the West Palm and whatnot. There's some fairs that have been doing them, you know, once or twice a month all year long. And now the concern for some concessionaires is, okay, if we have the fair, are people going to be tapped out and be like, I really don't want to eat another Turkey Lake. I don't want to have waffle chicks. I don't want to, you know, that's, that is a legitimate concern. And I, I do know that there are um, a lot of concessionaires that have set up in parking lots of, you know, box stores and things like that, especially in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. You know, that's such a, a mega food fair, the Minnesota State Fair. Uh, they, those people in Minnesota that attend that fair are going to try the new foods and the staples and all that type of thing. And um, yeah, if it's available throughout the, you know, the whole summer, it may take the luster. Who knows? Right. And I think uh, one I of the things that, what's that? Sorry. I was going to say, I think one of the things that really makes fair food by definition, fair food is scarcity. The fact that you do only get it at the fair, you can't just go to Walmart and get it off the shelf. Right. That's, that's a fantastic point. And, and I, yeah, I don't know that, um, 
this one season of that will cause it. But if we end up with another, a back-to-back year with the same thing happening and the concessionaires like myself have to find spots to just go and set up, you know, what, what is the, the big draw? You know, when somebody comes into the Clay County Fair or the Iowa State Fair carrying their waffle chick souvenir cup from saying, the previous hey, year, I, from the previous year, hey, I saved this, been looking at it, at this in my cupboard all year, wanting to come back and have your chicken and a waffle and one of the desserts and, you know, buy a refill in my special waffle chicks cup. You know, those, those things just go away, you know, after a period of time The the, um, the novelty is, is just that it's a novelty. Yeah, for sure. Now, as we're starting to get in towards winter temperatures up North around you are plummeting. So your options to set up and make revenue are somewhat limited then what are your options for getting through the winter is, I mean, are you still scheduled to go to San Antonio again in, in February? Uh, we are waiting to get our final information about San Antonio and Austin. Uh, I think everybody is still waiting to see how the holidays pan out. out. Yeah. So what are your options to get through the winter then? Well, my, um, my two sons are very talented carpenters and they're working for companies doing carpentry work. So um, they'll do that. Honestly, I'll, I'll probably try to get a job um, driving truck. I can do something like that for a while. Um, You know, there's no job that's not that, you know, that's beneath me. I've driven semi over the years. I can do that. Um, It's hard to pick up a part-time sales job. So truck driving is something I can probably step in to do. Well, and a lot of you guys that are in concessionaires, a lot of you have CDLs. Um, I know there were several entertainers that because they pull large, large shows, they've got CDLs and that's what they did. They, they put their shows in storage and said, Hey, I've got a CDL and maybe they're driving for a local company or Amazon or something. If that's what you got to do. I mean, and you've got the, you've already got the CDL there. You might as well put it to use. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Is the government there in Iowa doing anything, um, financially to help support small businesses? Uh, well, you know, the, the Iowa government um, doesn't really stand alone when it comes to that. Most of, of the money that's been out there has been on the federal side. Uh, they, they have done a lot of good for certain small businesses. Uh, the downside of Waffle Chicks not having a staff that we pay on a regular basis uh, the payroll protection isn't really a, a real thing. <laughs> you know, the, the, there is no regular payroll. So, those dollars aren't really readily available. Right. Um, being a fairly new company, put as much of our own money in it as we could starting out. It, it's just a matter of trying to be as independent as possible. Uh, there are some dollars out there. To be honest, it's been pretty hard for us to tap into much of that. Yeah. As you're having discussions with your 2021 fairs, like you mentioned, you were kind of in a holding pattern with San Antonio and Austin are you seeing any changes in language and contract language or insurance requirements in order to make your operation quote COVID safe? Uh, not on the contract side. Um, there are, a, you know, more than anything, they'll say, Hey, there'll probably be some changes. The health department will dictate when we get to that point, we'll send you emails and, and information on it. Most of those changes um, have already been handled through the, temporary drive-through events and that type of thing. So we've, we've already made what changes are needed. Our, um, our local health inspector here in Northwest Iowa, I'd re- I uh, took the time to reach out to him last spring, ask him what we need to do. And he said, you know what? Uh, honestly, the way you guys handle things, there's very little that you have to change. 
you know, the, the condiments, don't let the customers handle the condiments as they normally would, putting their maple syrup on their own chicken and waffles, that type of thing. Um, he said, just keep doing what you're doing. He said, regionally, you may have to wear a mask, which we've had to in the events that we've done um, as a server. Obviously, it's a little tough to communicate at times, but, um, you know, gloves are something we wear on a regular basis. Uh, food concessionaires really don't have the issues we're already distanced from the customer. We're inside a trailer, right. they're inside the trailer. Uh, we're built for COVID situations when you get right down to it. Um, not, not a whole lot of changes are, are needed. Uh, the Mississippi State Fair, they did require that we wear masks during the fair, whether there was a customer there or not. Mm. And that gets to be a long day, 12 hours of wearing a mask continually even if there's, you know, it's raining and there's no customer around. Um, you know, that was part of it was not, well, actually I should say it wasn't the fair that needed that to happen. It were, it was the politicians that were worried about having the fair. Sure. They tried to come up with some extra little things to do. Um, name was the, the carnival company there. They did a fantastic job with, with it. The management of the fair did a great job. Politicians, believe it or not, got in the way. I, I would never have thought politicians would get in the way of something. That's kind of, you know, we've seen that here in New Mexico and with our governor, I, I spoke with Dan Morning, who's the head of the New Mexico State Fair and, and his feeling in speaking with her directly was she was going to be, you know, to hell and back to make sure there was not going to be a single case on any state property, which is one of the reasons the New Mexico State Fair had to cancel this year. She just wasn't going to have it. If there were going to be cases, fine, but it wasn't going to be on state property where it was going to be their, the state's responsibility. So, you know, politicians are going to do what politicians are going to do in the meantime, you know, this pandemic has had a very wide reaching impact on all of us, not only at the business level, but at the personal level. So let's touch on that personally, aside from the business how are you holding up through 2020? You know, uh, my sons and I have a farming background. And I guess when it comes to farming, you're used to having years where one of your best cows has a calf and it, you know, you, the calf dies or you have flooding and you can't get your crop. So I think we're seasoned into bad times and we, we know it will get better. So it, I don't think you know, psychologically is affecting us quite as much as it is um, some of the people that have never had to go through some of that. Right. Um, you know, there's, you know, I was a farmer in Iowa in 1993, the 500 year flood where 90 plus percent of our crops had to be dissed down because they, they just weren't happening. Um, the government programs were there, but they weren't like they are now. Right. And we got through it just like with this COVID situation, we will get through it. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It sucks in a lot of ways, but I don't think, um, I don't think you're going to see, uh, entrepreneurs like concessionaires, entertainers that are going to just throw up their hands and walk away. Yeah. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head that you as farmers, you're somewhat seasoned in talking to a lot of other people on the podcast this year that seems to be a consensus that as far as being, you know, I asked about being COVID safe, our industry is probably better set up for that than most, you know, cause we as an industry had to deal with the E. coli outbreak. We had to deal with swine flu. We've had to deal with some of these other, you know, illnesses and viruses and whatnot going around that 
we're ready. Like, so we already have cleaning stations. We'll just add a few more. You know what I mean? Exactly. And in your case, you have, as you said, you're between somewhere between 50 and 90 years old. <laughs> you've, you've had a number of times in your life that you've been, you've been punched in the face and had to get back up in, in life and deal with that, that knockdown. I worry for some of the younger upstarts that this is the first real challenge to them. And will they be able to survive it? Well, and that's, that's exactly right. There are, there are people that will, you know, they'll say this is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And to be honest with you, it is the worst thing that will ever happen to them until the next bad thing happens. Yep. You know, those are, you know, throughout the years, every time you think this is the worst thing that could possibly happen, unfortunately something worse can happen, but usually there's a whole lot of good in between those times. Yeah. You don't test fate. I was saying um, to another guest, this is wild to me, but there will come a day that we look back at 2020 and go, man, 2020 was actually easy. And that scares me because yeah. 2020 has been awful, but who knows somewhere down the road, there's some virus or something that is far worse. And then what? Then, right. then being locked down in your house and being told to stay home looks awfully comfortable. Yep, exactly right there. I saw um, somebody had handwritten a sign in the window of a store uh, just recently, it said, um, have hope 2020 is almost over, which is great to hear. Unfortunately, I, I think this year is going to be 16 or 18 months long. I don't think 2020 knows what the calendar looks like. Yep. Uh, but you know what? 2021 could be great from June through December. You yeah. know what? And I'm not saying that nothing will happen. Uh, if you use an example like the Iowa State Fair, Mike Nye, the, the head of concessions there, he, he has mentioned to me that we will have an Iowa State Fair. It may look a lot different. It may feel different, but we will have an Iowa State Fair in 2021. And I, I have to agree with him. We will be able to adapt. And I, I hope events such as the Mississippi State Fair and the Greater Gulf State Fair are laying the groundwork for how that can be done. Yeah. And I think in talking to some fair managers, the idea here is they're kind of looking at 18 to 24 months, 18 to 36 months before things are really normal again. But in the interim there, the phrase that kind of keeps coming up is we canceled in 2020, 2021 will be the bridge to 2022. These fairs, there's a lot of them that even if it looks different, they have to have a fair because I think there's a number of fairs, a high percentage of fairs that if they canceled in 20 and they cancel in 2021, they may be done. They may be out of business. And right. so having some kind of affair that becomes a bridge to getting back to normal, quote unquote, normal in 2022 is very important. So, you know, I asked about your, your family. You said your sons are, you know, they're, they're doing some carpentry and some construction work and whatnot. You mentioned your daughter's a teacher. How's that going? Are they, are you guys in school? Are you doing virtual? How, what are they up to? Um, she is a teacher in a, in a high school in Sioux City, Iowa, and they are in person for their classes. Um, she and I speak on the phone fairly often. Um, that she's, she's going above and beyond this year because she's going to give me a grandchild on my birthday in February. So wow, congratulations. <laughs> she's doing a great job. Thank you. Um, that will be grandchild number four. I've got another one that'll be here in about 10 days. So <laughs> it's going great. Uh, <laughs> She's a little puzzled um, as a as a fairly new teacher. She is with the school district where the middle school 
is going virtual, has gone virtual, but the high school is still in person. A lot of siblings go to those two schools. So right. she's confused. And I, she said, why would they do this, dad? And it was a rhetorical question, but I said, <laughs> well, what, what have you, what have you seen that makes sense on any of this? She was not a single thing. I said, yep, I think that's just the, the, the thing we all have to deal with. But here in Iowa, yeah, schools, um, as a, you know, a majority of the schools are, are active and going. Um, Iowa has been a state that has resisted um, some of the shutdown stuff uh, more so than, you know, some of the eastern and, and southern states and the far, far west states. Right. So yeah, um, my, my wife is, uh, is an assistant principal in the school district here in Albuquerque. And, yeah. you know, I give credit to APS early on in, in the pandemic, they were able to get tens of thousands of kids fed rapidly when everything was shut down and families needed food. They were able to get that done. You know, we're in a spot now though, where our governor has got us shut down in this red, yellow, green county by county opening kind of standard where in order to go like everybody in the state, except for one very rural County is red. And so in order to go to yellow, which eases the restrictions a little bit, you have to, for two weeks have, less than eight per eight cases per a hundred thousand per day. Well, that puts Bernalillo County, which is where Albuquerque is in a maximum of like 53 people per day on average for two weeks. Well, the average throughout this entire thing has been somewhere between like 86 and hundred. Some analysts looked at it and said, Bernalillo County could easily be 20 to 30 weeks before they get to even yellow. Wow. Which is just mind boggling to me how one state can like you have Iowa that's open. Yes, they're trying to be safe as safe as they can. You have other states that, you know, are shut down tighter than anything and cases still go in both places. Well, you know, I'll I'll tag on to the um, the meme question that's out there more often than not. And that is how does COVID know when 10 p.m. rolls around? Because mm-hmm. we are restricted where our, our restaurants have to run 50% at this time and close at 10 p.m. Right. So, you know, that, that 10 p.m. thing really throws a lot of us off, especially as independent business owners who um, have friends that are in the restaurant business here in, in our area. And we say, you know, why do they have to shut down at 10 and be 50%? Pick one. You know, if, if right. they're normally open to 11, let them be open to 11 if they're only allowed 50%. Right. You know, why would we be shorter hours and less people? That's, I guess, for people smarter than myself. And, you know, when, when it comes to borrowing something, I'll, I'll say that I, I agree with the comedian that said that all politicians should serve two terms and the second one should be in prison. <laughs> That's funny. I saw a meme that went across Facebook that said um, regarding the vaccine, Congress should take the vaccine first. If they all live, then the vaccine is safe. If they all die, then the country will be safe. <laughs> I agree I, with that. I think, there's, I think there's some real, I, there's clearly some tension building up. Um, obviously, when we had a very, I don't think it would have been this bad if it wasn't for it, it being an election year. I think that added a whole lot of, of gasoline to the fire this year. Mm-hmm. But when you have religious people that are told you're not allowed to go to church, but you know, California is going to go ahead and let, let prisoners really, you know, early release prisoners, and they're going to turn a blind eye to protests where they're burning small businesses down. When you have this, this pull back and forth, if we're going to let one extreme do whatever they want, but we're not going to let you go to church or we're not going to let your kids go to school, or we're going to shut down and put you out of business. 
I, it builds tension really quickly. And I'm just hopeful that as difficult as this year has been, maybe now that the election is semi over <laughs> that people will start calming down and, and just deal with COVID. Let's get it dealt with. Let's get people back to work, get small businesses open. It's been a brutal year. What do you think has been the most difficult part of this for you? Uh, the most difficult has been, to be honest with you, the fact that family can't get together. You know, we have um, a fairly close family and I'm, I'm going out, you know, a little more extended. My sisters, my parents and that we're, we're a group that gets together on a regular basis, especially in the summertime before we start on fairs. Um, we do boating and camping things together and it's, you know, it's been a year of not seeing anybody. Yeah. Well, and if you think about so many people who have who have been lost to not only COVID, but, you know, people that just pass away nor in a normal course of a year, we have a neighbor who was a decorated Vietnam veteran who passed away. Um, it was not COVID related. It was, he was, you know, he was like 80 something years old and he passed and um, he died on Vietnam veteran Memorial day. And yeah. he's, he's not been able to be laid to rest with military honors yet because we're everybody's just still waiting because you can only have like five people at an event like that well how are you going to get a color guard and guests and your minister and your, your family it's just a very difficult ending and but i don't want to end the podcast on difficult ending let's talk silver linings what okay. have you learned about yourself this year what do you see as a silver lining moving forward into 2021 uh, what i've learned about myself is that um my, my sons are really hoping to get me out on the road and get me out of their hair real soon. <laughs> we, um, you know, we've learned that we just need to be um, resourceful. You know, it, we try to be as efficient as we can about things, but adding more events, trying to be resourceful on, on how we're going to do things in the future um, comes into focus. And fortunately with my sons and I being partners, we can bounce ideas back and forth. And it's, it's been a good year for that. Um, three distinct personalities with my sons and I, and it works, works out great. Spencer is a guy that has, you know, a thousand ideas in a day. And sometimes one of them is a good idea, but you know what? Usually I tell how it them, works. That's, that's great. He never keeps an idea to himself. He passes it on to us. Tanner is more of a tunnel vision focus guy. I'm more of the marketing, let's push and get out there guy. And we bounce ideas back and forth and decide which route we're going to go with. And we have some new products we've decided to come out with uh, for our Pioneer Wagon and for Waffle Chicks. Uh, those kind of things are going to help us in the future. We probably wouldn't have been as proactive on it in a normal year if we would yeah. have been running our butts off with the schedule we should have had this year. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's this year has forced some innovation. It's interesting that you use the word um, resourceful. One of my favorite quotes is from Tony Robbins in that our challenges in life are not typically a lack of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness. Um, the resources are there. It's just a matter of whether you can find them. And so right. clearly you've got a good team there at waffle chicks. And I'm sure that once this you know, if the vaccines work or whatever needs to happen, that this pandemic ends and we kind of go back to normal waffle chicks will see a new day of success. You will have that best year, you know, that you've been waiting on that will happen. Um, 
Uh, frankly, I think all of our fares will. My gut feeling is when this is all said and done, as social creatures, we are going to be dying to get out to Disneyland and to the state fair and to the, to the mall, to a movie theater and go out and be out in public and be with our, or, you know, with people again. So I think the best days for concessionaires, for entertainers, for fairs, I think the best days are still ahead of us. You agree? Oh, I, I agree. 100%. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, Chris, I appreciate you being on the show today. Um, before we go, we're just about out of time here, but before we go, everyone on the show, I do a little speed round of questions with them. So I'm going to ask you some speed questions. Give me your best answer to them. You ready? You bet. All right. iPhone or Android? Android. I don't know if I can keep having you on the show with that answer. <laughs> uh, your concessionaire. So here's one for you. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Occasionally. What's the furthest from home you've ever traveled? Rome, Italy. And when you do travel, what is one item you absolutely must have with you? A toothbrush. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? I have never watched either one. Are you kidding me? Dead serious. Wow. I, I don't even know how to answer. I don't know. No, I really kicked off the show, aren't I? <laughs> Wow. You are a first. You are a unique man, Chris. You're very unique. And last question. If we were to open um, your music app on your phone or on your computer right now, which song would it say has played the most? Uh, with losing Charlie Daniels this year, it would probably be a Charlie Daniels song. Yeah. God bless him. He was fantastic. He was. Chris, I've enjoyed having you on the show today. Enjoyed chatting with you. If other fairs or concessionaires want to reach out to you and kind of brainstorm marketing ideas or things like that, where can they find you? Uh, our Facebook page is a very good place to go. Uh, Waffle Chicks One. Uh, we can be emailed at info at wafflechicks.net and that's chicks with an X and it's .net. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, we can be reached at Facebook uh, about as easy as anything. And we are looking forward to, yeah, bigger and better things as time goes on. Chris Taylor of Waffle Chicks, I wish you well through the holidays. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.